are ready for spring break. Like you're, yes. Are any of you going on any fun trips for spring break? Yes? Where are you going? Vegas. Man, that is, is anybody going to Miami? Yeah, okay, a few of you. I've heard that Miami is the new Panama City Beach. Is that true? It's like the, break, it's like the new spring break destination. Everybody goes to Miami. Well, those of you who are going on a trip for spring break, you're going to be with your friends for a whole week. And I don't know how trips have been for you, but that always sounds like a really great idea up front to be with your friends for a whole week. But every time you end up on a trip like that, you end up with two types of people that always end up on the trip with you. And I think broader than that, there's these two types of people in every single friend group. And if they're not in your friend group, you at least know someone like this. And the first is the person that complains about everything. You know what I'm talking about? You know the friend where it could be the perfect day outside, but they complain that the sun is too bright? And you're like, seriously? Like you just found something to complain about. Or the friend that you have a class with, and you guys get your test back, and you got one grade below a B, like one like point below a B, and you're just glad that you passed. And they got a 99.9%, but they're going to complain that the professor didn't give them the 0.1%. Or the friend that you go to the restaurant with and it's embarrassing to go out to eat with them because they always send their food back or have to complain that something isn't right. We all know that person. And if you don't know that person, it might be you. You might be that person in your friend group. But it's okay because I think I'm that person in my friend group. I feel like I complain a lot, but I like to say that I'm passionate. I don't complain, I'm just passionate. That when I don't like something, or when I don't like the way that somebody else is doing something, when I think that somebody is being really stupid, I just feel the need to be passionate about vocalizing it. But I don't know about you, but it gets even worse when I'm really stressed out or overwhelmed. Because when I'm stressed and I'm overwhelmed, I can't see anything good and I can't find any solutions, and I just spend all of my time being really overwhelmed and really upset and making everything a really big deal, where if I would have actually taken that time to do something, I'd probably be a little bit less stressed and overwhelmed. So we all probably know the complainer. And the second person that ends up on every trip is in every friend group, or you at least know them, is the person that turns everything into an argument. You know, that friend or the person that you will never bring up politics around because it will absolutely turn into a debate. Or you know, the friend or that person that you're wondering, I wonder what I've done wrong this time. You're always a little bit on edge, a little bit tense because you've always done something, even though in reality you've done absolutely nothing, but they always find something to be upset about. That friend who it's almost like a skill or an art that can take any lighthearted moment and turn it into a really tense one because they can find something to be offended about or something that they need to make a point about. We all know these types of people. They're probably in our friend group. Or maybe you're finding yourself relating with one of them of being the person that can find something to complain about or being the person that can find something to argue about. 
But have you ever noticed that if you have those people in your life, the more that you're around them, the more that you find yourself complaining about your life, that the more you're around the negativity, the more you begin to find the negativity in your own life, that the more you're around the people who tend to turn everything into an argument, the more that you find yourself arguing, because it's fine for a little bit and you can let it go for a while, but you find yourself needing to make your own point or needing to get your opinion across as well. But even bigger than that, have you ever noticed this, that the more that you complain and argue, the easier it is to continue complaining and arguing. That the more that you complain and argue, the more that you find the negativity in your life, the more that you seem to feel the need to make a point or to get your opinions across in a way that doesn't always come off so well, the easier it is to continue doing that in the future. And so there's actually some science behind this. As I was researching and learning, there's actually a science behind why it makes it easier for us to do this. And so if you learn absolutely nothing else tonight, if you learn nothing spiritual, if you learn nothing helpful for your life, you actually might learn a little something about your brain. Because look at this quote from an article that I read. It said, your brain loves efficiency and doesn't like to work any harder than it has to. And it keeps going. When you repeat a behavior such as complaining, and I'll attach on arguing, your neurons branch out to each other to ease the flow of information. This makes it much easier to repeat that behavior in the future. So easy, in fact, that you might not even realize that you're doing it. So essentially, every time you complain or every time you argue with someone, any time that kind of negative behavior comes out, you are creating a pathway or a bridge in your brain. And the more that you do it, the more permanent that bridge becomes. And all of a sudden, the negative responses become your brain's efficient and natural response to doing things. But I actually think that it's a lot bigger than that and goes a little bit deeper than that. Because as you know, we are in a series called This is Living. And last week, if you were here, Reed talked to us about being humble. And one of the ideas he talked about was that to truly live is to recognize that life isn't about you. But he also made a point in saying that that isn't a natural way for us to live. And so I don't think that it's just creating these bridges and these pathways in our brains that cause us to make it easier to complain and make it easier to argue. I think it's actually just our natural tendency I think it's actually just us leaning into living life our way. In reality, I think these responses are just our natural selfishness revealing itself. Because if you're to look at what complaining actually is, this is what complaining is. Complaining first, it's finding fault in someone else. So complaining is simply just taking the blame off of you and putting the blame on to someone else. If you think about any of the times that you have complained in your life, you rarely complain about anything that you have done. You rarely complain about anywhere that you are at fault or anywhere that you have messed up. The complaining is typically just taking the blame off of you and putting it on someone else. And this is also what complaining is. Complaining is venting. Which venting done in the right way isn't wrong at all. We all need those people 
are a few people in our life that we can be honest with, that we can be real with, that we can open up to. But venting without any action is just simply complaining. It's just continually voicing the things that are negative, continually voicing the things that we don't like in our lives. And if you're just to continue to do this to someone else without any action, it can just be really, really exhausting and depleting for the person on the other end. And then lastly, complaining is this. It's just simply discontentment. It's just the acknowledgement that you don't like what's taking place in your life, that you don't like what's going on, and you just want to make it really clear to everyone around you that you don't like what's happening in your life. And so really, what complaining is, is it's just a selfish reaction to the things in life that we don't like. It's just a chance for us to acknowledge that we're not in the wrong, but someone else is in the wrong, And that we don't like the way that life is working, so we want to make sure that other people know that we don't like what's happening in our life right now. And it's an acknowledgement that we are discontent with the way that things are going, so it's just a selfish reaction to the negative things that are taking place in our life. The same is true with arguing, because there's a difference between healthy conflict, which there is healthy conflict, there's a difference between that and arguing, because arguing is this. It's a pointless back and forth. And my guess is that every single one of you can at least think of a time where you have witnessed a pointless back and forth, or you have been a part of a pointless back and forth. And it is frustrating. And some of you are kind of in that nervous giggle, maybe because the person you're sitting next to, there's been a pointless back and forth, or you're thinking of the last time you had this pointless back and forth, maybe with your roommate, or your boyfriend, or your girlfriend, where there seems to be no reason to the argument other than both of you just wanting to get your points across. There doesn't seem to be any desire to resolve anything. There doesn't seem to be a desire to understand each other. The whole point of the argument is that you both can just get your points across. And arguing is also this. It involves little to no listening. Have you ever been a part of that? It is frustrating. But it's really just frustrating if you're the one that wants to be heard. If you're just the one doing all the talking, it's probably a little bit satisfying sometimes. But arguing, it involves little to no listening. There's no desire to hear what the other person has to say. In reality, you may not even acknowledge or realize or recognize that there's actually another person on the other end of the conversation or the argument that you're having. There's little to no listening involved. And lastly, arguing is this. It just has the motivation to win. That the whole motivation of an argument is that I come out on top. That I make the best point. That my point was heard and ultimately my point was the point that won. The The whole premises behind arguing is that you win. Which means that there again is little to no acknowledgement that there's another person on the other side of that argument. And so again... Just like complaining, arguing is just selfishness revealing itself. It's just a way for our point and for our opinion to be heard. 
and it's just a chance or a place where we can hopefully come out on top, that we can be the one that wins. And the only way that we win is if we have the best point and the loudest voice and we make ourselves really, really clear. But I bet that if you know people like this who tend to complain a lot or who can turn absolutely anything into an argument, you don't actually really like being around those people very much. They're not necessarily the people that you would want in your corner. And I would also guess, because I know that this is true of me, that complaining can feel really good in a moment, but I don't actually ever feel that great after I've complained. It doesn't necessarily make anything go away. It doesn't necessarily make me feel better about anything. And when it comes to an argument, I can have a really good argument with somebody in my head in the shower where I make really good points and I feel really good about what I'm about to say. But when I'm actually in an argument and I walk out on the other side and both parties didn't win, or I actually feel like it was just a lot of pointless back and forth or that there was no listening on the other end, I don't, I don't actually walk away from that feeling like anything good was accomplished. I don't feel really great about what just took place. And if we're to put this in the context of our series, if we were to make a box and put in it everything that we would say would give us a really great life, everything that we would define as living life to the full, everything that we would say, hey, this is really living, this is living my best life, I don't think that we would put complaining and arguing in that box with us. I think it's something that we would like to toss out. It's something that we don't want to be true of our own lives, and it's not the type of people that we want to surround ourselves with. And so throughout this series, we've been looking at the book of Philippians, where Paul is writing this letter to the church at Philippi. And in this letter, he's simply writing to them about what it looks like to truly live their lives. And tonight, we're going to pick up in another portion of that letter, and this is how Paul starts out some. He says, Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence. And so here, Paul is really just setting up for them, of, hey, I know that I was with you for a little bit, so there is a time where Paul is actually sitting with this church in person, and he's teaching them what it looks like to live out their faith. He's teaching them what it looks like to be Christians. And he's just simply acknowledging, hey, when I was with you, you were super teachable, and now I'm not with you anymore, but you're still super teachable to the things that I have to say. And he continues, and he tells them, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. And now these words, fear and trembling, I feel like give off the like fire and brimstone, scary religious vibes. Like they're not words that we would typically use or not words that we would typically want to talk about in church. But they wouldn't have been scary words to the church that Paul was writing to because for them, this idea of working out your salvation with fear and trembling, for them it just would have simply meant, hey, we want to live out our faith with a recognition and a reverence and a respect of God. That they simply want their lives to be a reflection of who God is. And Paul goes on and he tells them this. He says, For it is God who works in you, to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. And so again, Paul is reminding them, hey, everything that I have ever told you to do, any way that I have ever told you to act, 
I am recognizing and acknowledging the fact that on your own, you wouldn't be able to do anything that I've asked you to do. That the only way that you are able to live the way that I have called you to live, the only way that you are able to live the way that I have taught you to live is through the power of God in and through you. That it's going to have to be God that works in you to do the things that I am asking you to do. And he's also using this to set up the challenge that he is about to give them. Because he knows that if it's not God working in and through them, they would never be able to do this on their own. And then this is Paul's challenge to the church. He says, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Which grumbling would just be a different word for complaining. And so Paul is telling them, do everything without grumbling or arguing. Do everything without complaining. Do everything without arguing. And so clearly... This draw towards selfishness, this draw towards selfishness when we encounter something negative isn't new at all. It's something that people have been dealing with for a really, really long time. It's something that they were dealing with in the very, very early churches. What's true of our friends, what's true of ourselves, what's true of them then. And what we're going to discover in just a minute is that Paul doesn't tell them how to stop complaining and how to stop arguing. And I feel like his explanation to them, or the way that he's writing this, or his challenge to them, is kind of like when you were a kid. Well, I, guess I, don't know, I don't really know what it was like when you were a kid, but for me, when I was a kid, it was like when I was fighting with my sibling, or bickering with my sibling, or was going on and on about complaining about something, and my mom or my dad would just turn to me and say, cut it out, like we're done no more, I'm over it, stop doing that. And I feel like that is what Paul is saying to this church, of hey, the complaining, hey, the arguing, cut it out. Like we're done. I don't want to see it anymore. I want no part of it. This is not going to be a part of our church. This is not going to be a part of who we are. This is not what we're about as Christians. So cut it out, stop doing it. I don't want to see it anymore. And so Paul doesn't tell them how to stop complaining and how to stop arguing, but he does tell them why it's so important. He tells them this. He says, Do everything without grumbling and arguing so that you may become blameless and pure, children of God without fault in a warped and crooked generation. And so these people would have known that their world was broken that their world was messed up, that there was a lot of things in their generation and a lot of things in their culture that weren't good. And I don't know about you, but I would say that that still feels pretty true of our world today, that our world is still messed up and that our world is still broken, that there's still a lot of of horrible and terrible things that take place within our culture and take place within our world. And Paul was telling them, and really what he's telling us is that, hey, if you would be people who would turn away from complaining, if you would be people who would turn away from arguing, then you would be considered blameless and pure. You would be without fault to the world around you. That people would recognize something different in you. But then Paul caps off this idea for them, and he says this, He says, then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. 
And then I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor, labor in vain. Then you will shine like stars among them. So really, what Paul is telling him of, hey, if you really want to live, if you want to be the kinds of people that people take notice of, if you want to be the types of people that influence people, if you want to be the types of people that light up the darkness, then it's going to require you to stop complaining, and it's going to require you to stop arguing. And what Paul said earlier is that this is a way of living out your faith. And so if you would live this way, then it would actually be a reflection of Jesus. And so then if you were to flip that, if we are people who are known for complaining about the lives that we live or complaining about everything that's taking place in our life, and if we're the kinds of people who are just concerned with making a point and who willingly step into pointless back-and-forth arguments, if we are those kinds of people but we also claim to be Christians and we also claim to be Jesus followers, then we make it seem as if Jesus was that way as well. But nothing could be further from the truth. Because what we know about Jesus was that when he came to earth, he knew exactly why he was coming. That when he stepped onto earth, that he knew that he was going to be the savior of the world, that that was what he came to do. In the process of doing that, he knew that people wouldn't understand him. He knew that people would try to drag him down. He knew that ultimately that he would be beaten, that he would be tortured, and that he would be crucified on a cross. But never once did he complain and never once did he find himself in a pointless back-and-forth type of argument. And now our tendency can be to think that if we're not supposed to be people who complain and we're not supposed to be people who argue, then we're just supposed to be people who don't acknowledge that there's anything bad or anything hard and we're just supposed to shove it all under the rug and we're just supposed to be happy, peppy, go happy-go-lucky people all the time. But that's also not what Jesus was about. Jesus wasn't just this happy-go-lucky, peppy person all the time who shoved things under the rug and didn't acknowledge that things were hard or didn't acknowledge the injustice in the world. Jesus did do all of that. He did acknowledge that things were hard. He did acknowledge that things were broken. He did acknowledge that there was injustice in the world, but he did something about it. He would move towards the broken. He would definitely tell people when they were doing something that he wasn't okay with, but he would do it in love. He wouldn't do it out of an argument. He wouldn't do it as a pointless back and forth. So yes, Jesus did acknowledge that things were difficult. Yes, Jesus did call out the injustice in the world. Yes, Jesus did call out when things were hard, but he didn't do it in a complaining way. He didn't do it in an arguing way. He did it in a way that moved the world towards something better. And I think that if you were to think about people who shine, people who stand out, people that other people take notice of, people that you would look at and say, man, they're living they're doing something different. They are also not the people who shove things under the rug. They're not the people that act like life is just great all of the time. But they are also the people who acknowledge that sometimes life is really hard, but they choose to find the good in the bad. 
And they're also the people who can still recognize that there are things in this world that are not okay. They can still recognize the injustice in the world, but they're going to do something about it. And they're going to make a change. They're not just here to make a point. They're here to make a difference. And so how do we take steps into also being those types of people? How do we take steps from from moving into these selfish reactions to negativity and move into being people who actually shine, to being the types of people that other people notice, to being the types of people that influence people, to being the types of people that people would say, hey, they are really living. They have got something that I want. I think one really, really simple way to become those types of people is just by simply having gratitude by actually recognizing the things in our life that we're grateful for. Because ultimately, gratitude paves the way to contentment. And content people, you're not going to find them complaining a lot. Mostly because they don't have the time to complain. Because content people can still have things that are difficult in their life, They can still have things that aren't okay in their life. They can still have things that are hard in their life. But they're working hard to change the things that they can change and to fix the things that they can fix and are choosing to let go of the things that they can't. People who are content, you're not going to find those people complaining. And content people, you're not going to find content people arguing. Probably because people who are content are just really, really genuinely excited to hear somebody else's opinion. And people who are content are so okay with their lives that they're open to hearing about somebody else's life. And so, if it's true that for us, that our brains are going to do the thing that is the most efficient and the thing that is the most natural if for us the most natural and the most efficient thing that we do is to choose to respond to negativity with selfishness, then we're going to have to choose to change that habit. And we're going to have to choose to change that behavior. And so my challenge for every single one of you is really, really simple this week. And it's a challenge that I'm doing with you. I actually started doing it this morning because I'm telling you that I need to practice everything that I am preaching tonight gratitude, I can work on it. Not complaining, I can work on it. Not arguing, I can work on it. But the challenge for every single one of us tonight was would you just spend just a couple minutes every single day this week writing down in a journal or writing down in your phone five things that you're grateful for? Just five. And if you have more than five, write more than five. Five things that you're grateful for. Because I think that if we would take the attention off of the things that we don't like, if we would take the attention off of the things that cause us to complain and cause us to argue, and we would focus our attention on the things that we're grateful for, I think it would lead us to a place of contentment. And I think that if we were a people that were content with our lives and were content with the lives that God had given us, that we would actually be people that shine that we would be people that other people would take notice of, that we would be people that would influence other people, and that we would be people that other people would look at and say, man, they are truly living, and I just want a little dose of whatever it is that they have. I'd love to pray for us. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you so much that you have given us a better way to live. And God, we recognize that on our own, that contentment and gratitude isn't going to be the thing that we naturally lean towards. God, we know that for us, that, that selfishness, that complaining, that arguing, that leaning into the selfishness when we experience negativity is going to be the thing that we naturally lean into. But God, would you help us to see the life that you have in store for us? God, would you help us to be content with the life that you have given us? Would you help us to work hard to change the things that we can and to let go of the things that we can't? So God, would you work in us and through us so that we would be people that shine and that we would be people that other people would look at and say, man, I just want a glimpse of whatever it is that they have. Jesus, we love you so much, and it's in your name we pray. Amen.